Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell, along with Brennan Clack, hanging around for the next uh, two-ish hours uh, as we slide in after the wonderful basketball show uh, and are the preview of the post-game show uh, with Mr. Millard. And are you hanging around with Mr. Millard as well uh, for the post-game? I don't think so, but I don't know. Is it Connor? Because I saw him in there. Probably Connor Halley, the Don Wheaton on White postgame show coming up after uh, today's game. Uh, so far, after one, it's 1-0 for the Edmonton Oilers, by the way. Uh, pretty good first period. Nice pass by Leon to Zach Cassian. Uh, fairly even in terms of the distribution of shots and chances and uh, courses and all that. Uh, and they are just underway in the second period. We will keep you updated uh, as the afternoon rolls along. I expect some kind of pushback from Columbus. They need these two points. So do the orders, but Columbus very close to that playoff ridge there in the east, and they definitely need the points. We're presented by Go Autos Kentwood Ford. Great selection, great service, 133rd Avenue and 97th Street. Reach us at 101260 via text, also at Low Tide and at NHL Update on Twitter. Uh, and are you... are? You saw the first period with me. Uh, what were your thoughts on the game so far? Well, I think the Oilers are playing a little bit better than I thought they might against Columbus, who's pretty hungry right now. They're trying to uh, definitely make the, the playoffs in the East there, because especially with all the UFAs, it'd be very embarrassing if they didn't make it, I would say. Uh, there was a couple of odd men breaks against that I didn't like, but Costin held his ground. There was that one really nice chance. Josh Anderson kind of came up the wing and tried to sh- uh, shoot on the opposite side of Costin, and he got the pad out, so... So far, they, they've played a pretty good game considering it's Columbus, but now they just have to hold hold steady, and that's something the Oilers have had a problem with is holding on. That's something that uh, the depth of the roster has faltered with this season. The, the, the Oilers are a funny team. They their, their warts are, on a day like today, where they're playing pretty well, they're very obvious. Uh, Chris Russell got uh, turnstiled. Um a couple of times in that first period, uh, I think their their lack of depth is very prevalent. Now, Leon made a gorgeous pass to Cassian uh, for the first goal of the game. Uh, after the second period, Bruce McCurdy will join us from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal, give us his opinion, and we'll have uh, Guy Flaming coming up in about 15 minutes from right now uh, to talk to us about the Oil Kings, uh, who are playing uh, this, well, late this afternoon, early evening, depending upon your clock, Brandon at Oil Kings, 6.30, we get into with the broadcast. I thought uh, McDavid had a very good first period, had some chances, uh, could not cash. Uh, looking at the five-on-five scoring for this team's forwards over the last 10 games, uh, he has three points. So that's an area where you expect he'll go supernova uh, in the coming days, and perhaps we see that today. I always like to give you an assignment. Are you ready for your assignment uh, today? I'm going to give it to you now. Absolutely, and okay. and I'm hoping that maybe it's something I've already prepared for. Well, knowing you, it is. The question is, you have been named the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. Who are you interviewing first for the head coaching job? And I'll give you a couple or three because you, I knowing you, you have prepared and you'll need a few. But we'll do that at one o'clock. Or do you have have you prepared this question? I have prepared this question. Absolutely, I know exactly the couple names, and I'll say this ahead of time: they're not going to be your traditional names that you've heard every single year, as in you know the veteran type coaches. I'm looking for something a little bit new. So, animal, mineral, or vegetable? Are we talking about a human? 
These are humans. Okay, thank you. Uh, They're not aliens. I was a little worried. I thought we'd go Mr. Roboto there. Uh, There has been talks of that. Uh, The the other thing we wanted to talk about today, and we were unable to secure a guest, partly because of our schedule today, uh, Jerome McGinlanite in Calgary. Uh, And that is, he's a special player. He's also a local player. And even though he has played most of his, did play most of his career for the sworn enemy, uh, Jerome McGinla is is such a class act and such a quality individual such that uh, even though he played with the enemy I know that we all extend our best wishes to Mr. Aginla on what is likely to be an emotional night I knew he was a special player all along but on the night when he basically ended Sheldon Surrey and Surrey said well you know he's a great competitor I thought man that's a guy who has the respect of the entire National Hockey League because Surrey was a horse and that was a tough night for Sheldon Surrey and for the Oilers yeah I uh We'll never forget with Jerome McGinley, the game-winning assist on Sidney Crosby's goal for yeah. the, the golden goal in 2010. Uh, very, very excited and, and proud that in my home city and your home city in St. Albert, that the Jerome McGinley Arena uh, will be a thing. It'll, the Aikensdale Arena there renamed to Jerome McGinley Arena in August, and there will be a ceremony in August as well uh, as part of a renovation to that arena. So very cool that again will have his own arena named after him in St. Albert, he is one of the greats from our city. Right, and he lives uh, just $30 million uh, in terms of house value down the road from me. Uh, at least he has a house there. So uh, an individual well-respected, and I know they'll do it upright uh, and very well in uh, Calgary uh, tonight. Uh, okay, a few things that we had to talk about uh, during the week that I wanted to just touch base with you. Uh, they're Euler-related, but they're also NHL-related. Uh, you haven't had the microphone since the trade deadline. What did you think overall? Who did you like at the trade deadline? Well, and not in terms of the Oilers, because I guess they didn't do anything. Uh, in terms of what teams did, Vegas was the clear winner. I, I think Mark Stone, the impact that he has on a team is understated even. like He is like such a good player, but his possession was so good this year on and off. Like The Ottawa Senators were an AHL team without Stone, and it's they're proving it now. They've lost every game since, and very convincingly in that way. Mark Stone changes Vegas into not just a one-line team with support scoring. They're now a two-line juggernaut top six. Riley Smith, Marcia So, and Carlson, and then they put out Pacioretty, Stastny, and Stone. They have an entire second line of established NHL players that they've only acquired since July. I think that Vegas has done an extremely good job at using the expansion draft to gain assets and then turn them around right away to win now and to establish a market there. So I think Vegas is the clear winner. I thought the Granlin for Fiala trade was interesting, and, and I'll have you mention when you thought about that after this too, is that I think that Minnesota actually turned out better than people had them turning out. Like I thought they got a lot of flack for that trade. Like Granlin's way better than Fiala. Yeah, this season he is, but Granlin's a UFA next summer, and Minnesota's getting younger, and I don't think they wanted to pay Granlin $8 million as a 28-year-old player, and Fiala had 20 goals as a 22-year-old Michael Granlin had 40 points for the first time at the same age that Fiala uh, already had 20 goals. So Fiala has a nice career ahead of him. Very fast player. I don't mind that trade. The the thing that I, like, I, I understand, the, I thought both Vegas and Minnesota made trades not just for now, but for the future. When you look at the Fiala trade, you have to look at usage. And in terms of usage, he, he he's going to get... I'm not going to say another half a game, but he, he's going to get another 33% of a hockey game to play uh, in his new town, and that's going to make a huge difference. Uh, I believe the Oilers have scored. 
Not sure who did, uh, but that would put them up 2 nothing unless there's an offside or a high stick or or somebody looked at somebody else funny. Uh, did you see who caught that goal? That was a vintage Connor McDavid, and then Drysaddle tipped it to Curry. It was okay. Josh Curry that scored the oh. goal. So do you think we'll ever get a McDavid to Curry going like Gretzky to Curry? Because Curry keeps showing up on these uh, score sheets lately. Well... A little early for that. <laughs> but you know what? I, I really like Josh Curry so far. He's showing good energy, and, and he reminds me a little bit of Connor Sheary, which I believe That's an Jim Matheson pull, brought yeah. up Sheary as well. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of him too. The The interesting thing for the Oilers today is that they're playing a very good team and a hungry team, and they're up 2-0. Um, I, I, I have to say this. I ran the numbers uh, this morning on the blog about I know a lot of people don't like Corsi and possession and all that, but since Andre Sekera came back to this team, it has made such a difference for them. And I and I think I mentioned this on uh, Jason Gregory's show yesterday. Um, by the way, I got to talk about Strudwick in a second, but the 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 fact that Sekera can move the puck out effectively and pass it out, I think it helps all three pairings because teams are more aware now that that puck can be turned around in a quick hurry, so they're not necessarily as aggressive on the forecheck. And I part of that, in my opinion, is because Clefbaum and Sekera have returned. And and when a guy like Evan Bouchard and these other cats get to the NHL, the Oilers should be able to crank that puck out of the zone, under control, very quickly, and that's going to mean a lot less defending. Huge difference. Massive difference uh, in the in the in where the orders are on the ice, say with Chris Russell compared to Andre Sekera. and that second pairing Nurse uh, Russell, they need somebody to move the puck. I wonder when we'll see Sekera move up to the second pair because I think that's the the you know next step we would see. They should be trying that out now uh, yeah. because they need to know for next season can Sekera play the right side. Uh, that's something that I'd be looking into because Clefbaum and Nurse are established as the left one and left two. So the right side, you're like, okay, well, Larson's there, but you don't want to jump Bouchard to the top four right away, and, and there's not really a good candidate. Russell's shown he can't handle it, in my opinion. I think he's shown that he's more of a bottom-pairing guy. So Secker needs that chance to and show. And he used to be a guy who could move the puck, but, yeah, but that skill level is gone. He doesn't look when he passes. like He just kind of fires it out, and it, it leads to a lot of giveaways. There's actually one in this game. They showed it. He yep. gave the puck right away and ended up being a chance in the slot. The uh, goal, the second goal, first goal was Cassian from Drysidle's 40th assist and Russell uh, Curry getting a second goal of the year just now from Drysidle and Connor McDavid. We will be talking to our friend Bruce McCurdy uh, coming up at about 1240 or so, and we're, we're about seven minutes away from our other friend, um, Guy Flaming, and we'll talk to him about the Edmonton Oil Kings. Also about junior hockey, and I, I mean, you know, I've been reading about these three kids uh, in the WHL, three forwards, who are likely to go inside the top 10. And at the beginning of the year, I, I sussed it out and I said, it's going to be Cousins, he'll go number one, and then Kirby Doc, uh, and then Krebs. That's sort of how I kind of rank them, right? And, and oftentimes, they stay that way. It's funny how how often when you when you rank players, what, what would have been maybe October and November, they don't really move that much. Krebs is starting to move up for me, and I and I I'm going to ask our friend Guy about this because it's pretty close. Like the everybody's got Hughes going number one, and then the Finn uh, Kako going number two. But then after that, it's a it, it's a, a strange brew, and and I wonder there's not a lot of defensemen here. There's Hughes, Kako, Cousins, Doc, 
the Russian kid, uh, Podgolzin, uh, Trevor Zegras, um, Turcotte's getting some mention. Bowen Byram was a, another dub kid from Vancouver. But Peyton Krebs for me is interesting. You spent a lot of time in the draft. I'm the, of those three WHL forwards, how do you rank them? Well, I've heard a lot of scouts recently that are starting to sour a little bit on, on Dylan Cousins. And I'm not saying sour like, oh, he's terrible. I'm saying that he was probably at the third spot for a long time for some guys. He's been dropping down a little bit. For me, I still have Cousins as my number one of those forwards. I still think that I see a lot of Ryan O'Reilly in him. I'm not going to be deterred by like 10 or 15 games of play because the overall body of work suggests that the potential of Cousins is quite great. Uh, I think Kirby Doc is a great power forward. And the the two big bodies of them is why I have Krebs third in that spot. But I think Krebs is very talented too. All three of these guys uh, are very, very good. But just because of the puck possession element, I'll take Cousins and Doc one, two, and then Krebs three. Okay. And and then the other side of that is, uh, do any of the USHL or the Russian kid, do they infiltrate? How do they infiltrate the three dub kids? Well, I think Pod Colson's one of those guys where he's got a very, very good two-way game. Like his defensive game is really good. His offense depends on who you ask. I think he's looked dynamite at the tournaments. He's playing a little bit better uh, in the VHL than I think some people expected. Russia's like it's their second league. Uh, so I'm less concerned about the offensive output for him now, at least a little bit. Still a little bit of concern there, but uh, he'll probably infiltrate somewhere in that top seven, I would assume. Turcotte in, in the U.S., he's getting a lot of hype recently. I think he moved up in some people's rankings. He is producing like dynamite down there. He already has 15 points. Uh, he is a special talent. I think you're going to hear more about Turcotte being a late riser coming up. There's not a lot else. This is a weird day, right? Like there's spring training baseball. The Jays are ahead. Uh, there's football news, but it's all about my Philadelphia Eagles and signing all their wonderful veterans on the offensive and defensive line. Uh, there's CFL news, but it's it's a little old. Uh, and the NHL's not started yet. So we could talk about Carolina and their post game and how Don Cherry's going to get mad tonight about it. I can I can break a signing being official. Okay. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks have made it official that they have given Jakob Silverberg his five year extension. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, which, for the record, eh, you know I, I'm not sure if I like this move. So the Ducks are trying to get younger; they want to retool, but then they re-sign Silverberg for five years at I believe it's a five point two five million dollar cap hit. And like I liked Jakob Silverberg for a long time. I think he was a great player. Uh, especially in the playoffs. Like, how many times did he kill the Oilers in that playoff series? Oh, it was a joke. Like, he, it was always him. Uh, but this year he has 16 goals, but 24 points in 56 games, and he's a minus 19. He turns 29 in the fall. Five more years of five mil plus. I'm not sure if I like this move. He's never had 50 points. He's a guy that I liked right up until the time it became time to sign him. <laughs> now I'm wondering, because, you know, if you look at previous years, he was part of the success of the team. But now you're wondering, when they all started to fail and get old, maybe he was more complimentary a piece than we think he was. It's now 3 nothing Oilers. Whoa. Leon Dreisaitl with a beautiful tic-tac-toe goal. They should play every Saturday afternoon in Columbus. They found their afternoon game road sweet spot. All right, we'll take a break. On the way, our friend Guy Flaming, we're going to talk draft and the Edmonton Oil Kings, who are a darn good team this year. This is Saturday Sports Extra on TSN 1260. This is the Saturday Sports Extra podcast on demand. We are now joined by our friend Guy Flaming from the Pipeline Show. Do you ever call the Pipeline Show something else? Uh, no. 
See, um, you did that he's clever happy fun time. I don't know. <laughs> you did that clever only one show thing. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Leon Dreisaitl just scored his fortieth and fortieth. I liked him at his draft uh, day, but I, like I have a long memory, and I remember a lot of not just a little bit. A lot of scouts I talked to said we like him. We worry about his foot speed, and that was the thing <laughs> on him. Right? Remember that? Oh, of course. Uh, it, it, in fact, what we hear a lot about the. Uh, Drysaddle right now is actually what a lot of people said about him as a junior as well. He doesn't look like he's skating hard enough. Doesn't look like he's trying all the time. Um, those were the same things we heard when he was with Prince Albert, and even when he was with Kelowna to finish out his WHL career. So um, I guess you look at a player. Sometimes they can improve those things. Sometimes it's not really that much of a weakness, but. Most of the time, what you see is what you get. Yeah, it's true. I remember when uh, when I was in grade well, seven through whatever, it was uh, low tide doesn't apply himself. And, uh, you know, I, I think they've yeah. been getting the same report card every year since then. Yeah, but those 40s, uh, the 1940s were pretty tough. For... <laughs> yeah, you either had it or you didn't. Uh, <laughs> let, let's talk, before we talk Oil Kings, let's talk a little bit about the uh, uh, 2019 draft. Uh, we were just talking about, like, Hughes, Kako, at the beginning of the year, there was definitely a gap, and and you know you come out of the the uh, Gretzky Halenka, and everybody sort of you know it's a free for all. Uh, Hughes, I don't think he's doing anything wrong, but I am hearing that that Kako because he plays uh, maybe in the SM Lesia and he's yeah. having success that the gap is closing. Are you hearing that as well? Yes, because and for the reasons you said, he's also much bigger and looks more like a like he could step right in next year because he's got that size and he's playing against men right now. So he's checking off all of those boxes. That's not to say that Jack Hughes can't also step in next year. I think everybody expects that he will. That's probably why he doesn't have a, an NCAA commitment right now. Um, but th- I've also heard there's a bit of concern that uh, he's been banged up a couple of times this year as well. So um, there might be some people out there who say, well, if he's getting hurt at this level, uh, how is he going to step in next year and, and uh, contribute that way? So I-, I still think Hughes will go number one. But, yeah, I think that uh, the gap between the two has uh, has certainly narrowed, to put it that way. The- Kako is an interesting player. Do you think either of those two guys are are – guaranteed plug-and-play, or both of them are? Do you think they'll both, no matter what, be in the NHL a year from now? I, I do think they will. I'm assuming Kako can, just uh, contractually. I, I think, I don't know for sure, but I believe he would be able to step in next year. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they both will. Now, this is the key to my, my uh, having you on. Not that we don't love having you on all the time, just to shoot the breeze, really. Uh, but the, the WHL has... Uh, really four guys, uh, Cousins, Doc, uh, Krebs, the forwards, and then uh, the defenseman, Byram, who could all yep. go inside the top ten. It's a it's a fantastic year uh, for the dub uh, in the NHL draft in 2019. I'm staring at these guys, and, and even though they're, they're not necessarily similar as players, some of the offense and some of the totals are similar. So a math guy like me looks at this and he goes, okay, there's it's different shades of gray here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see a huge difference offensively between certainly the three forwards. Tell me how you feel about them and maybe how uh, how you value them. Yeah, I think you've, you've painted the picture pretty well, uh, Alan, um, because there isn't really a whole lot to choose between them and what their impact could be at the next level. For, I think for me, a lot of it's going to come down to which team is up next and what their their particular organizational need might be. And again, you don't normally draft by need, but 
you know, there's a lot of forwards going to be at the top end of this draft. Byram, to me, is clearly the best defenseman available. So if he's there and the, the team picking three, whoever that is, is loaded with prospect forwards and maybe they really go into the draft thinking we need to get a, a defenseman, that could really push a guy like Byram up. So he's a bit of a wild card, in my opinion, uh, on draft day. He, he's, he's certainly a really very, very good. And if he was hap- if he happened to be picked before the three forwards, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. It's not to say that it's only because somebody was desperate for a defenseman. He is that good. Uh, and when you've got Krebs and, and Cousins, to me, they're almost two sides of the same coin. Just Cousins is more of a shooter, and and uh, 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 not Krebs, excuse me, uh, Kirby Doc. Um, Doc is more of a, a setup center. Uh, I think Cousins could also play comfortably on the wing at the next club, like as a shooter. I think I could see that happening for him. Um, but uh, but Peyton Krebs is he's the real deal as well. And I mean, yeah, to me, he reminds me a lot uh, of Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, I know he's been told, and, and I don't disagree with the Braden Point comparison. Um, all of those guys are going to be high-end players, I think, at the next level. So, uh, Guy Flaming, our guest uh, from the Pipeline Show. Um, so, you look at all these players, and then the the math is telling me this Russian kid, but Golzin, uh, maybe is a little shy compared to previous Russian players. But when I talk to people in the industry about him, they just rave about his style of play and about what, what he can do in terms of aggressiveness. So, do you see him being a, a, a substantial offensive player as well? Well, let me preface this by saying I'm not a scout, uh, but and I haven't seen. I don't spend hours watching video of guys uh, playing in Europe. What I've seen from him with my own eyes at the uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup, uh, he's a guy who liked to attack. Now that's against his age group too, so I don't know that you expect he's going to step right into the NHL and uh, and uh, be that sort of a player. But you know, maybe it takes him until he's. 23 or 24 before he really finds that sort of an impact but uh, I, I think he's an attacking player. I don't know that he's a perimeter type of guy if that was the concern. Right. Um, there's definitely a lot of offensive skill there in my opinion. So uh, Guy Fleming joining us, clearly lying about not watching European players on videotape until 4 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. We'll, we'll let that slide and uh, not pursue that because we want to pursue other things, uh, including the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, I, I remember uh, watching Martin Gurnat and Keegan Lowe and all that group uh, improve year over year as defensemen and it was fun to watch because uh, they really did you know develop into a great team and a a WHL champion and then eventually a Memorial Cup uh, champion. The, I'm not suggesting that this group is going to do that because that's a that's a high, high bar. But every year I've seen some development here, uh, and I feel bad because Trey Fix-Wolanski won't be around for next year, but there's a build here. And, and you, I, I guess my question for you is, how many of these kids eventually do you see uh, being really high draft picks and, and maybe finding their way as NHL players? Because I think there's four or five. Uh, high draft picks on the on the oil kings well, defense. Uh, no, I'm talking about overall, like the whole, even the kids who are like Gunther who's not playing that group. Like, what, sure. what, what, where do you see these guys being a year or two from now? Yeah, no, this is a team that, uh, and uh, I'm going to say that I don't know necessarily. We should uh, completely discount the possibility that Six Wolenski's back next year. Um, we could have a conversation on that as well. But I think next year this this could be a, a, a team that is considered. A contender. A lot would have to do with uh, whether 27 is back or not. Um, but 
you know, guys like Jake Neighbors and uh, you mentioned Dylan Gunther. He's, you know, he'll be a full-time rookie next year, so a little ways off for him. But um, what I've seen from Jake Neighbors this year is there's no reason to expect he's not, you know, a top 45 type of player uh, for the NHL draft when it's his turn. There, there's definitely a lot of young talent on this team. The, the, the depth that we see with the Oil Kings right now, they haven't had uh, probably since 2014 when they won the Memorial Cup. Um, it's it's definitely a group that's grown together a lot over the last couple of years as well. They've they've uh, gone through their uh, trials and tribulations, especially on the blue line, but this group has evolved and grown together, and uh, they're definitely a capable squad. Uh, Matthew Robertson is a guy that this is an important year for him, obviously. Uh, he's mm-hmm. had some injury issues, but I in the games that I've seen him, he's really showed, like, even though he's not an older player, obviously, uh, this is his draft year, he's really shown, uh, like, calm feet and composure and, and that he can be a two-way guy. Yeah, that's what it is for me is just his, his presence. He's a, he's a common guy on the back end, and he can attack, but he's more often than not the guy who starts the play out of his own end, and um, he's, he's just he's unflappable. He's a tough guy to to uh, really get under the skin of. He's uh, pretty calm, uh, and he moves the puck with a lot of confidence. And uh, sometimes he surprises me with the little subtle things he does to uh, to uh, avoid danger and, and get out of tight spots. Just simple little uh, bank passes to himself off the boards around a guy, or or uh, puts the puck through somebody's legs. That he, he, if it was anybody else, you're kind of like, whoa, just get move the puck high off the boards and, and things like that. And he tries the little creative things that more often than not work out. Um, he's, he's a really good player, for sure. You and Peart seem to be uh, developing some rapport. He seems to like you. You seem to like him. Well, it's a pleasure working with Andrew Peart. Yeah, he's a high-quality, uh, he's a really good broadcaster. He's an even better human being out yeah. yeah, He uh, Now, is he able to deal with your Tourette's during the game? Because I know that's difficult for you sometimes when you just blurt something out. Yeah, I don't know uh, what you're talking about. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, I have to say that I look forward. I miss you on the road. Can't you just start going on the road with this team? Well, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Uh, certainly, if they're uh, if they're playing against the Red Deer Rebels in the first round of the playoffs, I'll be making those trips for sure. No question about that. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Podcaster uh, salary. Uh, I'm working on a podcaster budget right now. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna t- I'm gonna go uh, see uh, uh, Cool Papa Bell. He's just down the road here, <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna see if we can arrange that. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Alan. See All right. Uh, that's our friend Guy Flaming. He'll be live on the radio uh, 6.30 tonight as Brandon is in town to play the Oakies. I heard you call me your friend, Alan. Oh, damn. I forgot to hang up there. He's gone. All right. Uh, <laughs> Peard and, and Flaming will be on the radio tonight at 6.30. Brandon playing the Oil Kings. Damn it. He heard me call him a friend. Shoot. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to work back from there. All right, we're what's the score now? I've lost control of the the uh, score. Is it four nothing? It is four nothing now. Uh, Chase on scored the fourth goal. McDavid has three assists. All of them have been fantastic. And th- so he would be at ninety points now. Well, you make me do math, aren't yes, you? Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, well, Drysdale's at forty goals and forty assists, and and I'm and sure. eighty one points, I believe, for Dry now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, McDavid would be at. 90 points in 61 games. Yeah. So. Everybody's like, it's over. Yeah, right. It's over. Uh, Anyway, so we're going to take a break so we can talk to our friend Bruce McCurdy. It's 1234 Saturday Sports Extra on TSN 1260. This is the Saturday Sports Extra podcast on demand. This is Saturday Sports Extra on TSN 1260. 
Presented by Go Autos Kenwood Ford. Great selection, great service. 133rd Avenue, 97th Street. Huge selection of F-150, Escape, Edge, and Explorers. See in-store for details or check out KentwoodFord.com. We're hanging around until, I'm going to say, 135, 140-ish today. Ordinarily, we're here till 2. However, the post-game show with Millard and Hallie will be coming your way. And I, I think it's going to be a rollicking show based on what we've seen so far. I mean, this is kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, not what I expect. Is this what you expected? I don't think it was. I mean, I'm going to call you out if you said, no, no, Al, I, I expected to see this. I'm, I'm not at all surprised. It's four, nothing for the Oilers. Uh, Leon, uh, has scored his 40th of the year and he's picked up a couple of assists, three for McDavid assists. Cassian has scored. Josh Curry has scored. Alex Chason has scored. So that right wing problem, it's gone. We're now joined by Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Bruce, everything about you talking to me on a, a day where the Oilers are playing and the fact that it's an afternoon game, every, all the arrows are this would be a loss, and yet we're we're looking at 4 nothing. Looking at 4 nothing ahead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Uh, the Oilers are playing some pretty terrific hockey today, Alan. They're, that, may have, that may have been the period of the year. That was uh, that was something else. They they uh, they're playing a good team too, and a desperate team, uh, and and yet their their structure is good. Obviously, their skill is good. It helps that that McDavid is like going off here with three assists in the uh, in the second period, uh, and and apparently anybody associated with right wing has to score today. Well, the same line is connected with three different right wingers now because two guys have come on during line changes and both scored. And of course, Cassian, who is the right winger on the line, he scored the first goal. But man, oh man, that two nothing goal—the one that Josh Curry scored—I mean, that's the goal of the year for me. I mean, give or take. Uh, I think it was sixteen forty-seven, and it was uh, the Oilers had the puck in the in the uh, Columbus zone almost for two continuous minutes. Uh, the, the Jackets got it out about a foot outside their line, and Nugent Hopkins came along and stripped the guy of the puck and just wheeled it right back in the zone. And there it stayed for over 90 seconds until they finally were able to uh, uh, to to uh, will the puck into the net. Just constant pressure. The Oilers must have handled the puck 40 times in that uh, 90 seconds. They just had it on the move. The defensemen were zipping around the zone. Cassian, he took a shot in the ankle, got hurt, went down, got up and limped to the bench while he was on his way off. The puck came to him. He made a good pass, and off he went. Curry came out, took his place, and that was, of course, the guy who scored. But uh, just wonderful work by both uh, McDavid and Drysaddle, in particular, and Larson on that trip. But uh, the two, the big two guys are just tremendous today. Well, the, the Leon pass to Cassian was gorgeous. Oh. And the Leon pass to to Curry. Yes. I mean, the puck came to him in the slot, and he just fired it. Uh, and Curry was just turning at the side of the crease, and the puck came. They just basically caromed off the tape of his stick and into the net. It was just such a, you know, how he saw him. Uh, I'm assuming it was deliberate because Leon's good enough for such oh, a yeah. pass to be deliberate. Yeah. But uh, he was at a point where you think he'd be shooting for his 40th goal. It was. Uh, Leon looking for the uh, guy at the side of the crease for the tap-in, and then the 40th goal came on probably the next shift or two shifts later. And 
McDavid has been flying today, but Leon has also been flying. And, and the two of them together, when they're both going like this, I mean, good luck to other guys. Yeah, and it, it, it was uh, that whole shift, I re- and I, I might be getting the wrong one, but I – I think that was just after Cassian got drilled, right, in the net front, and and so that's why Curry was out there. I believe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Cassian got hit by a Kleffbaum's point shot. Yes, went down in pain. Uh, got up and slowly made his way to the bench. And while he was on his way, the puck came to him, and he made a good pass back to the point and got off. And Curry came on, and and of course Curry was the guy who scored. So. It worked out uh, worked out rather well. And Cassian, for all he was grimacing in the bench, he was grinning when the puck was in the net. It was <laughs> fun to watch. He's a pretty passionate guy, and and uh, he's had it going on himself these uh, these last uh, few weeks. Well, the Oiler fan, uh, you know, deserves this, and I think the Oiler players do as well. It's been a long, difficult year. Uh, this game, obviously, working out as well as it possibly can. Uh, I, you know, and I ordinarily I'd say, well, Columbus isn't playing very well, but they're desperate. And I feel like they are playing, you know, a, a reasonable game. The last time I looked at the 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 you know the secondary numbers or whatever, they were you know they were putting forth effort. They were getting uh, some high danger chances. This might just be one of those cases where the best players on the ice are Oilers, and they are you know putting this game out of reach just based purely on great play. Yeah, well, and and the Oilers, I mean, their depth players are are. Uh... Uh, coming through as well. I mean, Nurse made an absolutely tremendous defensive stick lift in the first period to uh, to uh, shut down one great Columbus chance, and another one when there was a, there was a turnover in the neutral zone that looked like a four on two rush, and Ty Ratty came flying back and made a full body length dive to deflect away the cross ice pass and extinguish that chance. And you see stuff like that. You know, the team is busting their butts out there. And it's it's good to see. It's fun to see. One of the concerns that I think that Oiler fans probably should have is, and I love the way Josh Curry is playing, and I love the way Colby Cave is playing. But it's important not to fool yourself this time of year, right? Like when they're going to need inexpensive contracts, those guys might be them. But mm-hmm. you want to you want a healthy competition in the fall time. Uh, right. I re- I have to tell you, I really like Curry. I think he's got a good brain there. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does, and he I, I'm. Uh, I'm liking the the package that I'm seeing from Curry. Like I was expecting more, you know, a nifty offensive um, f- forward that might have uh, um, defensively not so good, but his positioning is sound. He's, uh, uh, you know, he he he's at least trying to play a 200 foot game, and he is very smart. And he's a very good passer. Like pucks on his stick and zip, it's gone and onto somebody else's stick and, and accurately. And those two passes he made in rapid succession on the Colby Cave goal on uh, Thursday night uh, were something to see. The little chip pass into the zone, and then Puck came back to him, and it was, like, say, off his stick and onto Caves right in front of the net in a split second. No processing time required. It was uh, uh, on his blade and off. So which one of us is going to write the story with the headline, Why did it take the Oilers so long to recognize Josh Curry? <laughs> <laughs> You know it's out there, Bruce. <laughs> well, I've already written a, an old headline of uh, "Has McDavid finally found his Curry?" It was nice to see uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, and Curry connect. I mean, I'm rooting hard for Curry. You know, he's a East Coast fellow and, and uh, Spud Islander, but uh, you know, uh, he uh, 
He uh, is looking real good so far. And what's up? Two two goals, two assists in seven games, I yep. think. Yeah, that's. Uh... I mean, that's very decent production from a guy that's. I mean, he's played probably thirty seconds with McDavid and Drysaddle, and then the rest of it's been you know down the lineup. So. Bruce, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Yeah, enjoy the rest of the game, Al. And I'll listen to your show on podcast today. Kind of, kind of uh, missing my Saturday sports extra fix here, but uh, we'll catch up with you a little bit later on. Got to watch the Oilers first. Uh, all right, sorry. that's, <laughs> that's priority number one. <laughs> not a problem at all. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Uh, all right, that's uh, Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey, the Edmonton Journal. His post games are the the Cadillac of post games. Really enjoy uh, the work that he puts into them. And it's a lot of work. You watch the game, and then you got to kind of re-watch the game to confirm what you saw. And he takes a lot of notes. It's, I, I blame he's, you know, he, he, he spent a lot of his life looking into the stars, right, into the heavens. And not a lot's happening up there. So I think he gets so excited when he watches hockey where everything's happening. He just makes all, all kinds of notes. That's one thing I do miss about I don't watch baseball anymore. But I always like baseball because there's a there's an event that occurs. It's a pitch and then a reaction. Either it's hit or it's a strike or foul ball or a ball. There's there's an action and then a reaction. Hockey is like four thousand of them, and that's the face off, right? A little different game. Now you've seen more of the game than I have. Bruce called it the best period he's seen all year or something along those lines. From what you've seen, why are the Oilers looking like the the 87 Oilers right now? Well, because the 87 Oilers had a guy named Wayne Gretzky on it. And Connor McDavid is playing his part right now to be as Gretzky-like as possible tonight. He has three assists. He's been absolutely fantastic flying all over the ice. He tried, He actually was, was so assist-happy that there was one play where... I saw that one. He could have shot it, and he still tried to force the pass across because it's been working so well for him, but... I mean, the tic-tac-toe play from his stick to, to dry settle to Curry was fantastic. The uh, play, like, right before that, he, like, basically walked through the entire CBJ team and then went around the net. Like, while I'm watching this, all I can think of is, what does your Chuck think right now? <laughs> because he doesn't know how to pass. He came here at the CBJ jersey a couple days ago, and he was like, yeah, look at me. Uh <laughs> Boy, this is a this is a not what Columbus probably expected, especially because Pittsburgh lost yesterday. So yeah. you're thinking, here's our chance. Yeah. Here we go. We can pass, and they're gonna Tortorella will not be happy. Um, one thing that's this is a great day for Oiler fans. One thing that could make it, you know, like cherry on top, is and like I'll admit it, I'm a big Ryan Nugent Hopkins fan. Uh, he he does uh, a lot of fine work, and and I think that. Uh, one of the reasons I like him is his personality is such that he he can get along with everybody and he's seen a lot uh, and he's never been a problem. I think he's wildly un- underappreciated. Uh, three times in his career, in 13, 14, 14, 15, and this year, he has hit the 56-point mark. And so the next point he gets will represent a career high. And, you know, we're miles from the end of the year. But it would be nice to see him on a day when everything's going well. Uh, it would be nice to be uh, seeing him get a, get a point. Well, and on that note, with a 4 nothing lead going into the third period, this is the game that I would like to see Tobias Reeder score now, a you goal. See, so you're flying too close to the sun now. <laughs> I, I at least tried the possible. 
Like I was just asking for an assist or something for Nuge. You're asking for Tobias. You're asking Tobias Reader to score a goal. Why don't you just ask, you know, Don Mattingly to hit three home runs? I just I want Reader to have something tangible for himself. You know, one goal. That's all I ask. Even Colby Cave has a goal now. Colby Cave has a goal, and Tobias Reader does not. I think it's time. This is the day no. for Reader. This is the period for Reader to rise up. If he got a, a breakaway from his own blue line, like he's he's remember the year Anton Lander scored with like three games left, and he, he lifted his head to the his arms to the heavens, and he he's just and everybody's like, what the hell is that guy doing? Well, it had been all year, and I feel like when Reader does, if I were him, I'd score. I'd just start taking off my clothes like in uh, slap shot and just skate around the ice because that's it. It's the career is over. I finally got this damn puck in the net, and now I'm done. I'm well, off to Germany. Without saying what it was on air, he might do what Joe Thornton said he'd do oh. if he scored four. Yes. The other night, Joe got three, and everybody on Twitter was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't oh, no. It was oh, yes. Well, I know my it Twitter was, was uh, I it know. was. Uh, it was People were, you know, Twitter is like, it's like the place for, for adults to behave badly. It's like the sandbox of life because people are like, oh God, some of this, and like actual adults, people that I know to be adults and they're all in like, you know, Flynn on this stuff. And uh, Joe was the latest example. Are right, Do you have your homework ready? I know you do. I'm ready to go. Okay. Your question is, you've been named GM of the Oilers. Who are you interviewing first for the head coaching job? Don't tell me now. Tell me after the break. It's Saturday, Sports Extra on TSN 1260.